Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. One thing that has sustained me all these many years, 40 years in the ministry, is somehow, early on, I accidentally learned how to cast my cares upon Jesus. You open your Bible, please, to the New Testament book of 1 John. 1 John, I invite you to open up to 1 John chapter number 5. 1 John chapter 5, and we'll be reading two verses together, and I invite you to stand when you have that. 1 John chapter 5, and we'll be reading two verses, verses 4 and 5. Why do we stand? Well, we show respect to the Word of God when we read His Word. So that's why we encourage you to stand, if you're physically able, at least anyhow. 1 John chapter 5, verses number 4 and 5. Let's all read together now, shall we? For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Amen. You may take your seats. You probably know this already, but the Bible tells us in various places, one of them being Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. It is God's design for you and I who are born again to not live our lives according to what we see and hear in this world, but rather faith in what God has written. That's God's design. That's His plan. Now, that's not always easy to do, especially if you've been saved maybe a little later in life. You've had 20 or 30 years maybe or more where you're Practice had been to live by sight and live by what you hear. And now you are called upon to live by faith. And that may not be so easy for some. For others who've been raised perhaps in a good godly Christian home, it may be a little easier. But then, of course, they have their, their particular problems also. Now, what ends up happening is we live defeated lives. And we know they're defeated because there seems to be a lack of joy. There seems to be more frustration. There seems to be more question marks. What do we do? How do we do it? Where do we go from here? And these things are telltales that there's a problem. If you were walking along and all of a sudden you noticed you were leaking blood that should raise a little red flag for you, right? Right away you'd say, hmm, well that's, that's peculiar. Hmm, look at all that blood I'm leaking. Well, that can't be right. And, and you are correct, that's not right. Something's wrong. We shouldn't be leaking blood. If you have some stabbing pain someplace, that's another little indicator that something is not quite right. Something's wrong. And we need to check that out. Well, when you find that you have a loss of joy, you have more sorrow than perhaps you have joy, more frustration, more anger. Times when you are 
far more afraid than you are confident, these are all telltales that something's not right. And what's not right is we've gotten off of God's plan and we're starting to live our lives a different way than what God designed. God designed for our lives to be victorious. And yet, we can, we can and do often live defeated Christian lives. So I'm talking about a life without fruit for God. A life without power of God. A life without a positive influence on others. I'm talking about a, a life that's dominated by the flesh and directed at times at least by Satan and dictated by the world. If you turn back a page in 1 John, you get to chapter 2 and look please at verse number 16. 1 John 2:16. Well, let's go back to verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so what we have here, folks, is we have a contrast. We have God's plan, His design for us, and we have the defeated Christian life. And we can contrast those two just as easily as we can contrast the turkeys fluttering around on the ground compared to the eagles soaring high above. And I ask you, which would you rather be? Well, let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. And let's take a look at this tonight as we talk about the victory of faith. Our Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves once more before you. We acknowledge that we don't have all of the answers. We acknowledge that we often live defeated Christian lives. And if any Christian says, well, that's not me. I don't live a defeated Christian life. Well, that is the first indication of defeat. They're self-deceived or they're lying. The truth is every born-again man, woman, and young person who knows you as personal God and Savior, every truly born-again Christian has their times of struggle. Our Father, we ask that you would increase our faith like the apostles said to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. Help us starting tonight. Help us starting right now to leave behind the fluttering amongst the turkeys and to take our rightful place soaring amongst the eagles. Help us as believers, help us as your children to take our rightful place, Father, in this world serving you. Open the eyes of our understanding tonight. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Well, folks, let's put it down right away. God wants us to be victorious. That is God's plan for us. Now, when I say victorious, I'm not saying that you're going to go out and win the, this million lotto thing. I'm not talking about that at all. When God wants us to be victorious, I'm not saying that God's plan is for you to, to uh, go out and get raise and promotion after promotion and end up being the CEO of some multi-billion dollar corporation. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about being victorious. What is victory? What is success? Success is simply finding and doing the will of God for your life. You will not have any finer success than that. 
One day this life is going to come to an end for you. Do you agree or disagree with that? One day this life here in this world is going to be over for you. Is that true or is that false? Are you going to go on living forever in this world? Mm, no. Some of us are wishing that day may come a little sooner than, than later, but it matters not whether it's sooner or later. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And you and I are going to leave this world. And we are going to live for eternity. If we're born again and saved, we are going to be with God for all time, for eternity. The very shortest, tiniest sliver of your eternity is spent right here, right now. This is the tiniest little bit of your eternity is right here and right now. And when we leave this world, we're going to go and be with God in heaven. And at some point, we are going to stand before him and give account for what we did on earth. And he is going to look for what he can reward. And sadly, I'm sure there's going to be Christians that have very little, if perhaps no rewards whatsoever in heaven. Our future usefulness, our future joys are based upon how we live for God here. Some Christians think it doesn't matter how I live for God. As long as I'm saved, as long as I know I'm going to be in heaven, not in hell. It doesn't matter if I live for God, I can live for myself if I want. Who cares? As long as I'm going to escape hell, I'm going to be in heaven. What a horrible, can I say even wicked thought that is. You see, our lives are bought with a price. We've been purchased. You know what currency God used to purchase us with? What was it? The precious blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of God is what it cost to buy us, to ransom our souls out of hell. We are the purchased possession of our new master, Jesus Christ. And so it's very important, very important indeed, that we live our lives according to his will. Because one day school's going to be over. You know, there's so many of us that kind of wish we could go back and redo our school days. You know, boy, I really just messed up my school days. Boy, if I had only just applied myself a little more, if only I had just done a little more homework, if only I had just been more careful with those projects, if only I just showed up at school even on time a little more often, I, boy, it would have made a big difference in my life. And Some people are like that. They have regrets because they know they messed up. And now maybe some of their peers have better jobs. Things are going better for them. Now, I know that's a very poor analogy. One day we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we will give account. And God wants us to be victorious here on earth. Say, Pastor, how do we know that? 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. God wants us to be victorious. Now it says here about being born of God. Who is this? Look at verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. So there's an indication right there that we know we're saved because we love other Christians, other born-again Christians. That's what that verse bears out. That's one of the evidences. 
If you have doubts as to whether you're born again, and you have at some point gotten real with God and gotten on your knees and confessed you're a lost sinner on your way to hell, and you've asked the Lord Jesus to save you and come into your heart and life and make you born again, and you have that, that memory, that experience, and yet you're still not sure if you're born again or not, the book of 1 John was written to help take away all of these doubts. You see verse 11? And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things, that means this, this book of 1 John, these five chapters, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know, not hope, but know. This is a no-so, not a hope-so, but a no-so religion. That ye may know that ye have eternal life. So, if you have that experience of having repented of your sins and cried out to the Lord Jesus for salvation, and you're still kind of not sure, you need to take 1 John and start to study it. Because in there you will find many, at least eight, tests of new life. I've shared this with so many people now, I, I've lost track. But if you came into a room and found uh, the, maybe your loved one is, is on the ground and they're not, their eyes are closed and they're not moving, well, you should be alarmed and concerned. And your first thought might be, are they alive or are they dead? And so... How would you go about finding out if they're alive or dead? Why, you would make certain tests. First, you would, you would call them. Joe, Joe, are you okay? That's one test, because if, if they open their eyes and say, yeah, I'm okay, then they passed that test, didn't they? You know they're still alive. But if they don't pass that test, then what? Are there no other tests? Well, sure there are. You give them a little nudge, maybe, and if they, if they move, you know there's still life in the body. But if they fail that test, what do you do? Well, you could check for a heartbeat and a pulse. You could put a mirror up to their nose and see if it fogs, an indication they're breathing. There are several tests of physical life, and there are several tests of spiritual life. And the book of 1 John gives at least eight of these tests. And this is one of them that I showed you here in chapter 5 and, and verse 1 here, is that we love Him also that is begotten of Him. We love other born-again believers. That's an indication. If you've got no love in your heart for fellow Christians, there's, an in, there's a test you fail right there. We're talking tonight about the victory of faith, and God wants us to be victorious. Did you know the moment you got born again, your victory began? You may have had a very defeated life. You may have had a life filled with the things of the world, the flesh and the devil. And that is total defeat and garbage before God. But when you got saved, your victory began. That's when it began. Now you might be here or watching online and you might be thinking, well, if it began, what happened to it? Huh? They talk about, you know, having energy. We call it get up and go. And some of us some days feel like our get up and go has gotten up and went. Where did it go? 
Well, if I'm supposed to be a victorious Christian, how come I don't feel like one? Because the devil is very cunning. He's very sly. And he very slowly soothes us and puts us back to sleep. He's very good at his job. And he gets us to stop using faith and start using sight. You see, the only way anyone ever gets saved is by faith. None of us here have ever seen Jesus Christ. One day we will. We shall see him as he is. But until that day, don't, don't be fooled by anyone, whether it's someone at work, whether it's someone on the internet who tells you they've seen Jesus Christ. Don't you believe that? Because that is not true. The way we get saved is by faith. The Lord Jesus, when he was on earth, said, uh, ye, ye believe because you've seen, blessed is he that seeth not, yet believeth. And so we got saved by faith, not by sight. By faith, we believed what Jesus told us was true, that we're lost, separated from God on our way to hell. We believe that Jesus is God in the flesh who died on the cross, was buried and rose again the third day. We believe by faith what he says, that he stands at our heart's door and knocks and says, may I, may I come in, will you let me in? And by faith we open that door and we receive him by faith. It's all by faith, it's not by sight. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that, meaning the faith, not of yourselves, but is a gift of God. You see, we have to understand something, that even the faith is a gift from God. That ability to trust what God says to be true, that's a gift. The just shall live by faith. That's the will of God. And so if it's the will of God for us to live by faith, where are we going to get the faith from? Well, he's going to give it to us. He's going to give us what we need. You see, God's not going to call upon us to do something that we cannot do. He's going to call upon us to do something that we can do. And every one of us here that name the name of Christ as Savior and Lord, we can exercise faith in his written word. Folks, we have all of the essentials, everything we need. And number one point of the sermon, and I could just end it on this, is we have the promises of God. Now over the next few weeks, I am going to be elaborating on this. But we have the promises of God. You know something? We receive faith from the Word of God. This is why it's so important that you read the Word of God every single day. Do not let a day go by where you do not spend some time reading the Word of God. Some Christians say, well, I don't have time to read the Word of God. Wow, you poor thing. Who made you that busy? Did God make you so busy that you don't have time to read His Word? Well, no. Well, who made you that busy? Well, I don't know. It just happened. Well, then unhappen it. Because you have an appointment with God. God is your first creditor above everyone else. You owe God more than you owe man. And it's important that we spend some time. You don't have to spend several hours a day, but if you can do it, you'll profit by it. Some of us who are in full-time ministry for God, we, we do have sometimes the luxury of spending a long time every day with the Word of God. 
We have to do it. We have to have it. If we're going to lead God's people, if we're going to know the will of God and do it, we, we need to spend that time. But every believer can spend time with God. And I asked this question this morning. Are you honoring your heavenly Father? Are you spending enough time with Him every day? For some people, we could say, are you spending any time with Him? And so if you think you're too busy, you're just going to have to rearrange your schedule a little bit. You're going to have to try and get up 15 or 30 minutes early or get to bed 15 or 30 minutes early to do it. You're going to have to do something. If you just don't know what to do, you ask your Heavenly Father, God, what do I do? I'm in a pickle. I don't know what to do. I want to spend time with you, but I'm so busy. And maybe the Holy Spirit will start showing you how you can drop something or other. You don't have to be doing this. Someone else can be doing it. And that will free you up. Of course, there are, are those who say, well, I just, um, I just don't have an interest in the Word of God. Believe it or not, there are Christians who, who don't have much of an interest in reading the Bible. Well, that can happen if you spend too much time you know, with the things of the world. Did you know that the same is true with children? If you let children eat all of the junk food and all of the sugar and ice cream they want, when comes time for you to give them a proper meal, you know what they're going to do with it? They're not going to eat it. They're going to push it away. Because they've been raised on a diet of garbage and junk food and sugar and ice cream and soda pop. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of this stuff every once in a while. It's okay. But it's when you get way too much. And then when you're offered some really good healthy food, you've got no taste for it. No, thank you. I'm just not into that kind of stuff. And likewise, if we spend all of our time with the things of the world, we've got no desire for the Word of God and spending time with God in prayer. You see how that works? So that's very, very important. It tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You're called upon to live by faith. Where are you going to get the faith from? You're going to get the faith from God as He gives it to you through His Word. Well, where do I start? If you don't know where to start, then start in the book of Psalms. Start reading Psalms. Start with Psalm 1. Psalm 1.1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Start there. And there's 150 psalms you can work your way through. Say, what if I don't understand something? That's not the point. You understand this much, don't you? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Yeah. You understand that? Yeah. You sure? Yeah. Well, then read the Word of God. But what if I don't understand something in the Word of God? Wait a minute. You understand faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God? Yeah. You understand that? Yeah. You sure you understand it? Yeah. Then read the Word of God. But what if I read something that I don't understand? Wait a minute. Do you understand this? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying that if you went to the doctor and the doctor says, you've got a problem with your gizzard and we've got this, this medication that's the greatest thing on the market now and this will cure your problem with your gizzard. Gizzard pills. Dr. Dodd's little gizzard pills. And you take one of these pills a day and it'll cure the problem with your gizzard. And you might say, well, what's in the, the, uh, the pill, doctor? And the doctor may say to you, well, the pill is a, a compounded um, um, substance uh, 
involving all kinds of uh, oxides and uh, various uh, nutrients and things. And you say, I don't understand any of those. The doctor says, you don't have to. You just need to take a pill every day. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the what? Say it. Word of God. And so your job is to take the Word of God, and God's job is to make it work inside you. Don't worry if you don't understand something. You can make a little note. Maybe you might want to ask someone or look it up. But you keep reading. Keep reading. Don't be like someone who starts reading the Bible and they they come across something they don't understand. They close the Bible. That's the last time they, they go back to the Bible. You need the Word of God to give you faith. Faith. Trust. Because there will be things you will understand. Listen, God cannot lie. It is impossible for him to lie. We have the promises of God and he cannot lie. A man who's about to die, he makes up his will and he says, I want my horse to go here and I want my dog to go there and my cow to go here and I I want my car to go to this person. I want my house to go to that person. And then the guy dies. And so wherever there's a will, there's relatives. And so the relatives all come and the lawyer reads the will. Well, so-and-so, you get the car. Someone else says, I want the car. You can't have the car because the car is going to this person. Well, that's not fair. It doesn't matter what you think. This is what the will says. Does that make sense? Yes? See, the lawyer can't lie. He's got to go by what the will says. God cannot lie when He makes a promise to you. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Now there's a condition there. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you. Too often we don't meet that condition. Therefore we don't get the answer to that promise. But God, when he makes a promise, he is always 100% true. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from hell and for heaven. That's a promise that God makes to anyone. What about that guy down the street? Yep. If that guy down the street will call upon the name of the Lord properly, repent of his sin and receive Christ, he shall be saved. What about this wicked woman over here on this side of the street? If this wicked woman will repent of her sin and trust the Lord Jesus, call upon the name of the Lord, she shall be saved. What about some murderer? who shot up a bunch of people and he deserves to die and he's on death row. What about him? Is he going to get to heaven? If this man genuinely repents and receives Jesus Christ, he will be saved. Case in point, the thieves on the cross, they were also murderers. And one of them repented and received Christ and Jesus turned to him and said, Verily I say unto you, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Listen, we just have to trust God. When God makes a promise, God knows what he's talking about. You know, isn't it strange that we trust each other and we only doubt our Lord? We take the word of mortals and yet distrust his word. But oh, what light and glory would shine for all our days if we always would remember God means just what he says. We have everything we need. His promises on forgiveness. 
Let me read it for you. It's in 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Christian brother or sister, if you've committed a sin and you go to God and you confess that and you own up to that and ask Him to forgive you, He's going to forgive you. You have his promises on forgiveness. You have his promises that all your needs will be met. You don't have to do what the world does. The world is full of thieves and crooks and liars. You don't have to go anywhere near that. God will meet your needs. He's made you promises of love and joy and peace. Something the world sure doesn't know anything about these days. He's made you promises about powerful answers to prayer. We could just say amen right there and and that's all we need. But his promises do not change. In Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, he says, "I I am the Lord God, I do not change. I do not change. Again and again we're told in the scriptures that God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. When he makes a promise, he knows what he's talking about. His promises cover every situation. Listen, I'd like you to write these things down. Would you please take a notepad, a paper, a pen, take something, write these down. Number one, are you lonely? Loneliness, that's something that happens to so many of us. Loneliness. Write down Matthew 28, 20. His promise is, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Matthew 28, 20. It was David Livingston who stood upon that very promise. Any sick? Is anyone sick? Sometimes we get sick. Say, oh, I want to be healed, I want to be healed. Did you know that once in a while it's God's will for you and I to get sick? Did you know that? Now the charismatic crowd and the Benny Hinn crowd and the Kenneth Copeland crowd, they're not going to tell you that. They're not going to tell you that that it's God's will for you to get sick once in a while, you should write down 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for thee. Therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's what Paul said. He had certain afflictions and, and infirmities. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes, God calls upon us. Listen, in the weeks to come, I'm going to share with you something about this, about sickness and suffering, something that will change your mind on it. It's not the evil, gruesome thing you, you've been told it, it is. It is not. There are times when maybe you actually want to open the door to some suffering. Not going to get into that tonight. Don't want you to read anything into it. But I want you to hold those thoughts because I'm going to show you in a few weeks in a particular message. I'm going to show you that it's not that bad. That God has some other things. And I just mentioned it for you. Maybe I let the cat out of the bag there. But in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That came into Paul's life because of the affliction. We'll talk about that another day. How about discouraged? Are you ever discouraged? discouragement. Boy, I tell you, in the ministry, (laughs) we get discouraged. That's part of our calling. 
I didn't know it. I didn't realize it. I wasn't taught this in Bible college. But when I got out into the ministry, I found that every single Monday, after the day after Sunday, every Monday I wanted to quit the ministry. I was so discouraged. And I thought there's got to be something wrong with me to feel that way. And it took a long time for me to learn this, but there's nothing wrong with me at all. But in chapter 46 of Psalms, if you write down Psalm 46 verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And that's something I had to learn. God is greater than any discouraging circumstance you can go through. How about weakness? Weakness. Write down Isaiah 40 and verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How about burdened with cares? You have problems and cares that seem to be piled on top of you. People who do counseling pick up a lot of cares. Psychiatrists have to carry a lot of the cares that people dump on them. It's sad, but those who deal in a lot of mental health, they themselves have a lot of problems. And some commit suicide. Years ago, I read where the highest rate of suicide amongst the, the medical profession was with the psychiatrists. I don't know if that's still true today. COVID has certainly changed the landscape. Uh, but uh, medical doctors, medical people uh, commit suicide because of all of the, the horrors they have to see. And they've got no, nothing to do, no place to go with their, their burdens and their cares. But you and I do. Write down 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. One thing that has sustained me all these many years, 40 years in the ministry, is somehow, early on, I accidentally learned how to cast my cares upon Jesus. Because counseling does that to you. You sort of absorb the cares and the burdens and the problems of people. And when you cast those upon the Lord, ah, you can breathe again. Oh, I praise the Lord for His promises. We not only have His promises, folks, we have pictures, pictures of faith. I'd like you to turn to the left in your Bible to the, the book of Hebrews. Go back a wee bit, chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And in chapter 11, we have many pictures of faith. Look please with me in verse 8. By faith, Abraham. Do you see that? Hebrews 11.8 By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. Say, how could that man do such a thing? By faith. By faith, he put his faith in what God told him to do. The just shall live by faith. And when God tells you and I what we should do, we need to put our faith in it. God said it, that settles it, right? Often we like to stick the words, I believe it, in between. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But you know what? Whether we believe it or whether we don't believe it, it still settles it. 
What God says is still true, whether we choose to believe it or not. We would be wise to believe what God has said. That's faith. The just shall live by faith, putting our trust in what God says to be true. But the devil says, no, 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 don't do it. You'll spoil your retirement. Folks, where in the Bible do we find that? Where has God ever talked to us this way? It's the world that talks to us that way. The world comes to us and says, Oh, listen, you have to have $20 million in the bank before you can retire. You can't retire unless you have $500,000 in RRSPs or something like that. You have to have all this equity. You have to have all this built up so that you can enjoy the lifestyle to which you are accustomed. Folks, forget that. That's the world. The world teaches that. God says, trust in me. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He said it. We should put our trust in that. You read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Give us this day our daily bread. That's trust in God, isn't it? It sure is. He loves us so much, He will care for us all through our working lives, all through our retirement, if we do retire, our retirement days. And the devil says, oh, well, if you do it God's way, you're going to live like some rug rat. You won't be able to breathe. You'll be surviving on little scraps and crumbs. Don't you believe that nonsense? That's not true. God is rich. He owns all of the resources of the world and He knows how to take care of His children. You will never stop being God's child. If you're saved, for all eternity you'll be God's child. And He has committed Himself as a father to look after you. Hmm? When was the last time your five-year-old your five-year-old came up to you and said, Mom, Dad, I, I'm not sure I can trust you. I know that you've got good intentions, Mom. And Dad, I understand you've got good intentions. By the way, Dad, happy Father's Day. But the truth is, Mom, Dad, I don't think I can trust your provisions for my life. And I really think that I, I can't afford to go to kindergarten. I need to get a job. And uh, I know where I can get a job um, uh, delivering papers and I can make pretty good money and I can start setting aside money for my retirement. Imagine a five-year-old telling you that. You'd look at him and shake your head. You'd smile and say, Sweetheart, where'd you get that nonsense from? Where'd you learn that silly slop from? This is your mommy and daddy. We brought you into the world. We're going to look after you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about where your clothes are going to come from, your food's going to come from. We're going to look after you. You have a heavenly father who's far greater than any earthly father. And he will meet our need. Can I get an amen on that? It's true, folks. It's so true. Abraham did what he did by faith. Look at verse 24, verse 25. It says here, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Some Christians who've been living for the world would say Moses was such a fool, he was so crazy, he should have kept his big mouth shut and kept rolling in the dough. 
He had it made in the shade. But oh no, he had to go and, and listen to God and go and live for God and where did it get him? Hey, listen. Where do you think Moses is today? Where do you think he's been, say, for the last 3,000 years or what? He has been rolling in heaven's glory. Where are those Christians that are living for the world? You take Ananias and Sapphira, for example, Acts chapter 5. Born again, I think they were. Living for God? No, they weren't. They were living for the world. They've been in heaven for 2,000 years. Well, yeah, they're in heaven. Yeah, they are. They're there. By the skin of their teeth, they're there. But that's all. Listen, the shortest time, the shortest sliver of your eternity is right here, right now. Don't waste it. Don't waste it living for the world. Don't make this mistake. Live by faith. This is the difference between the turkeys fluttering and the eagles soaring. You have one life. One life. That's all you get. One life. Now what you do with it, that's going to make all of the difference in the world. You can either live for this world or you can live for the Lord's world. And if you're born again, if you're saved and you're on your way to heaven, it should be a no-brainer. It should be a no-brainer. At any moment, the Lord could call us home. And then what's going to happen to all of our plans for 20, 30, 40 years down the road? What's going to happen then for all of the money we've been stashing away in several different bank accounts trying to avoid paying tax on it or some nonsense like that? Folks, we need, we need to live by faith. We've got pictures here about Joshua and pictures of Elijah and Daniel. But listen, don't forget, we've got modern day pictures as well. We've got some of the world's greatest men and women who decided they were going to give their all to Jesus Christ. Hudson Taylor is an example. Brilliant man. He could have been a wealthy, wealthy, wealthy doctor in England, but he turned his back on that in order to be wealthy, wealthy, wealthy for God in heaven. And he went to China and he won thousands and thousands of souls to Christ starting the China Inland Mission. Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was the one who taught us to live by faith and, and pray big, attempt great things for God. Those were his words. David Livingston, whom I mentioned earlier, again a brilliant man, medical doctor as, as well as... Um, uh, an adventurer, if you will. And he was charting new, new lands in Africa at that time was considered the dark continent. And he helped bring light and open it up. And here's a man who turned his back on what could have been a very promising career. And he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he stood upon Christ's promise in Matthew 28, 20. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And he is the guy who is remembered today for his incredible exploits, and he is a billionaire in heaven, so to speak. I don't know if that's a good way to put it or not, but he is rolling in heaven's glory today. Another example is George Mueller, who came from Germany. He didn't have such an, a good upbringing when he was a little boy. He was a thief and a liar and a crook and everything, but he got saved. And he got called of God to full-time ministry. He ends up in Bristol, England. And there he sees orphans on the street and he decides in his heart, someone has to look after these poor little children. And so he starts to take in a few of them. And he does it by faith. 
And he spent the rest of his life doing this. And he started building orphanages by faith. And millions and millions of dollars came in out of nowhere to help fund this orphanage. And he ended up supporting 10,000 children. 10,000 orphans were under his care. Plus the church that he looked after. Plus the printing ministry. Plus a few other ministries as well. Here's a man that just did amazing things for God. How did he do all that? By faith. We have a lot of pictures of faith. And of course, we'll finish here, but we have the practice of faith as well. The practice of faith. You know something? Nothing's going to happen until we put into practice our faith. Faith is likened to a shield in the book of Ephesians, the shield of faith. Faith is like uh, a mustard seed according to Jesus. And we've given all of the fathers today a, a little kind of a coin. And in the center is glued a little mustard seed, tiny little seed. I've been asked a couple times, can I plant it? Can I plant it? And my answer is, sure you can. But I don't know if it's going to grow. It's been in there a long time and it's glued in there. So I don't know if it's going to happen at all. But you could plant it if you want. If something happens, let me know. I'd sure love to... Uh, Come by and see your mustard tree, something like that. But in Luke chapter 17, the Lord Jesus said, if you had faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, that's pretty small. You can do amazing things for God through faith. That's what Jesus is teaching, through faith. Now, something else about faith is that it must be appropriated. You have to appropriate faith. In our judicial system, if a pardon were to come down for a prisoner, he's been in prison a long time, he's about to be pardoned. Did you know that that, part, that that prisoner has to receive the pardon? Did you know that? He can't just automatically get out of jail. He has to receive the pardon before he can walk out of jail a free man. And it's the same with you and me. And we need to receive, receive from God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And we need to receive and act upon it. And even the acting upon it, I suppose, is like a, an act of faith. Starting tonight... For the next few weeks, I am going to deliver a series of sermons that will help strengthen your faith. Remember, you can flutter around with the turkeys of this world all you want. Or you can soar with the eagles. The choice is up to us. Isn't that true? Amen? Pray with me, would you? Heavenly Father, thank you for faith. And through faith, we can... We can conquer every foe. We can move mountains. By faith, we can do anything for you. Father, I ask you please to build within every born again, man, woman, and young person connected with this church, build in us a desire to soar with the eagles, to mount up with wings as eagles. Build in us a desire to use our one life one life and to use it in an amazing way. Help us to invest 
our life into your will. And bless your people. Protect your people. Encourage your people. Meet their needs. Do something, Father. Some small miracle to encourage them that this is the way, walk ye in it. Please, dear Father, raise up a great, great spirit of faith and prayer amongst your people. Help us to call out to you for something big, for something that would bring you great honor and great glory. Bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.